Well, good evening. I want to just tell, tell you all I really appreciate Pastor Bill and Pastor Pam for the opportunity to share. You know, it's a huge honor. This is a tough shoes to fill up here. So uh, I always get nervous when I first come up, so I apologize. It'll pass, I hope. Um, but I just want to, to say I appreciate Pastor Bill and Pastor Pam. They've been Chris and I's pastors for years and years. And I think I've told you before, our pastors in Arkansas, uh, we had a Pastor Bill down there too. And I always have said to many people, I always only go to church with a Pastor Bill because that's just the way it works. So, <laughs> But anyway, it's just the way it worked out. Um, let's go ahead and start with our confession. All right. I am here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right, you can be seated. Unless you want to stand the whole time, you can. So I, um, I started uh, several years ago. I, had, I had, a, had a reoccurring practice every year to go through the Bible. And um, I've told you all before, I'm a detailed person. I like order. So, of course, I was reading it chronologically based on history. Um, and I enjoy that because it, it, builds, uh, it builds on all the things that have happened in, a, in what's you know, known as historical process. And I like also that it ties into... You know the things that that science can prove. You know, so we're not only looking at the Bible where we have to believe by faith, but it's also lining up with archaeology and scientists and those kinds of things. So I, I often feel a lot of times it gives me a little bit uh, bigger leg to stand on, especially now that I'm working in an academia world of, of Purdue. So um, so anyway, again this year I started doing that, and um, so I'm going to share a little bit with you tonight about Abraham and Sarah because I just read about that and God was speaking to me about some things. But I am, I'm really excited this year because. Uh, a wonderful person blessed me at the end of this past year with a uh, the Passion version, which they've only completed the New Testament. But when I get to that part, I'm really excited about kind of peeling the onion on the on the New Testament with the Passion version because I've really really enjoyed when I've read that. And so, um, you know, as the year progresses, I mean, I'll have some really awesome notes out of that. But tonight, I want to talk to you about timing is everything. And you know, we we've probably heard that through our our church lives. You know, God God's all about timing. It's in His timing. You know, God's will is perfect and those kinds of things. But um, it's actually the title of this came to me Sunday because uh, I found out last week about sharing tonight. And because I'm a planner, I got in panic mode. I'm like, oh, we got a week. You know, I was telling my wife at home, what am I going to do? You know, I have no clue. But when pastor was sharing Sunday, he said, you know, that timing, um, sometimes it's really fast and sometimes it's over time. And he said, you know, Pastor Pam, he met, you know, he found out about her in four hours. And then we're, you know, we're still waiting on the church building. So it is true that you know, God does do the miraculous. Sometimes we can turn a corner and there's that thing. But from my experience, and I think from my wife and family's experience, it's usually not that fast. And it's usually more about the waiting. Waiting is awful. So uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about timing is everything, but it's probably more practical to call it uh, the waiting or the waiting period. I'm going to talk to you about some, some principles or some guidelines to kind of set the foundation for this. So... If you're looking at God's timing, if you're thinking about it, if it's relevant to you, you're probably somewhere in a relationship with God. You know, it may be, you may be, you know, still kind of on the milk, kind of young, but you may also be a more mature Christian, but you've probably settled the fact, you know, that, that God does keep his word. If he didn't keep his word, being a Christian is kind of out with the baby with bathwater, right? I mean, it's, there's really no point, right? Because we believe that he's, he does what he says he'll do. Now, we have this other piece, the free will. So God's, God does what he says he'll do, but as we found out in the Garden of Eden, free will plays a part, and he gave us free will to make choices. So although God has promises and things that he's given to us and committed to us, 
the reality is we can kind of jack that up sometimes. You know, he can have a perfect plan for our life, things that he wants to do for us, things that he wants to show us, things he's got laid out for us, and we can detour that because we think we need to help God. I mean, have you ever done that? Try to help God. It's that whole waiting thing. I don't want to wait, so I'm going to help you. Um, we're conditioned to ask when. So we may get something in our hearts. God showed us something. There's some things that we, we believe he's showing us. We speak, you know, he's spoken to us. And I don't necessarily mean audible. I mean, that would be great. But, you know, sometimes just something you kind of feel in your knower. You know, you just kind of feel it's coming. And initially we want to go, well, when? When's that going to happen? Tomorrow? Tomorrow will be great. Ooh, big race this week, next week? You know, things like that. And then, of course, the world's answer is now. And I'll tell you, having teenagers, you know, one's grown and out. We have another one that's on her last year of the teenage life. And then we've got another one in high school. And this whole thing, and I know every generation says this. I used to joke about my parents saying it when I thought they were old when they were 30. You know, I mean, just every generation says this, that, you know, oh, you know, it's, that's old and slow and this is better. And I get that. But I also believe that it's like a snowball going down a hill. The closer we get to Jesus coming, you know, the word says the darker it gets, the light's going to shine brighter. All these things are coming to fruition, just like what we've seen in the word. And the reality is those things, those self-gratification moments become a stronger temptation, a greater risk, certainly for people that don't believe, but even those of us that do believe. Because again, back to the waiting, when we don't want to wait and I can do this thing right away, I mean, God's a forgiving God. He'll forgive me, right? God's a blessing God. He'll bless me. So it's, it's, it's easy to get caught up in that snare because the world says, well, you can have that now. You know, there's no problem. We can have it now. And here's that other one I just mentioned. God's answers often wait. And we're going to talk about why that is here in a few minutes. The wait requires the faith and the trust. So we've got to have faith when God wants us to wait, or even if he doesn't say wait, we don't actually hear wait. We know we have to wait. We have to understand that there's a reason for that. And God may not tell us the reason. He may not show us the reason. And as, we'll, as you all probably know from Abraham, he didn't show a reason for a long time. And we, sometimes we don't understand that. So really it's all about the, what we do in the waiting. So I'll play this video for you and let you watch this. Those who wait on the Lord don't go anywhere. They don't move forward. They don't turn back. They wait. Wait for God to answer. Wait for the Father to provide. Wait for the Avenger to act. For the hurt to stop. For the door to open. But sometimes, in the waiting, in the stubborn trusting without seeing, we find an unexpected moment. And then another. An unreasonable peace. A surprising joy. A shocking sense that the answer matters less than being loved by the one we're waiting for. And so we worship in the waiting. 
and we wait a little more. And we wait a little more. You know, I grew up in Lafayette, so this video spoke to me for multiple reasons, but I remember when I was little, um, my grandparents, my mom's parents, uh, lived down off of Fifth Street. And I remember, this was even before kindergarten, I would sit out on the, sit out on the porch with my grandfather. He, that was his afternoon thing to do. He'd go out there. Sometimes he'd put a chaw in, you know. We'd sit out there and we'd watch the train go by. And I loved, like, when, you know, because the trains would come about the same time every day, and sometimes I'd put pennies on the track. But, you know, you just sit and you watch that, and it's almost mesmerizing. You know, that you know, that clanking, and there's almost something peaceful about it. And, you know, my wife, she's found out that I've got this weird thing about trains now that I'm 50 years old, and I don't even think she knew that about me when we first met. But anyway, it's just because it brings back these great memories of my grandparents. But it really is about the waiting. Now, that whole thing reversed when I got a little older, and I'm waiting to get across the tracks because I'm driving. That whole peaceful thing went out the window real quick. But now that we're back in Lafayette, you know, we just moved back this past year, and there's a lot of the trains gone, you know, and so whenever I see those, um, I had these little flashbacks, and those, those, uh, those, those have a special place in my heart, so when I saw this video about the waiting, I can totally relate to that, because you're just waiting. When I was little, I was waiting for the train to go by so I could go get that smashed penny. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. So we settle up front that God has a plan and a purpose, and all these things take place, specifically at a time that he's, he's determined. You know, now people can argue about predestiny and, you know, if God's really predestining everything, then I really don't have free will. But if we look back at the Garden of Eden, God did have, if you want to call it predestiny, he wanted it to be a perfect world. He wanted communion with, his, with the people he's created. He wanted fellowship. But those humans he created that he allowed to have free will exercised that free will, and they jacked up the program, Right? And we live in a world today where we can do that any time that we choose. We can know God's plan and we can mess it up because we have free will. And what we're going to find out through some of the things with Abraham and Sarah is that he loves us so much that even when we mess it up, his plan and his promise never changed. Now, we may have a tweaked version of it because maybe, you know, I, I used to, when we were younger, you know, 20, 20 30 minutes ago, um, we used to work with the youth, and I would tell them about, and Chris has heard me say this story a million times, so she probably knows what's coming. But I used to tell the youth, you know, let's say if God had a perfect horizontal line that was your life, and, you know, everything he had for you, the, the mate, the job, the perfect retirement, all those things, they were on this perfect horizontal line. What we do as humans with our free wills, we like to weave in and out of that. And the challenge with that is we don't know what we miss during the weave. You know, so you're on this line and, and I'll just use the mate thing. You know, you're on this line and, and God's got this mate for you right here. But I thought, well, I'm tired of waiting and I'm going to go date so-and-so or I'm going to go move. I'm going to do this job. And then I swing out over here. The perfect situation may have been right there, but I missed that. I'll never know that. But God loves us so much that when we come back in line with his word, he still blesses us and he's got another option. Because that's how cool he is. That's how awesome he is. And the thing is, he also knew we were going to make that bad choice in the first place. So one could argue the predestiny was actually up here, right? So anyway, that's a whole other sermon. So in the waiting, there's things that we have to do. There's things God does and there's things that we do. So in the waiting, we pray and trust, which is exercising that faith. 
and I've got the W-I-F-M, what's in it for me. So if we're going to be praying and trusting, we're not going to be saying what's in it for me, which we all know that's exactly what this world tells us to think about. Every advertisement, pretty much every television show you watch, every interaction you have, it's always you've got to, you've got to look out for yourself because it's a cutthroat world and we've got to get ahead in life and you really need to, you know, you, you need to focus on yourself and what are your needs and all those kinds of things, which is completely opposite of Jesus's giving his entire life for everybody else, right? Worship and praise. So that's, that's a tough one. So when you're waiting, let's worship and praise God. For what? Right? I'm in the waiting. What am I praising for? Well, you've got to praise for those things that are not as though they are. That's hard because emotionally you're not vested in that. When things are going well and stuff's just clicking and stuff's falling in place, man, you go, oh, this is awesome. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. When things aren't going so great, like us finding out that I'm losing my job at Walmart and this and that and the other thing, boy, it was tough to praise. It was really tough to praise because you're like, I don't know what's next. My game plan's falling apart. What do we do now? You know, it just, you're not in the mood or emotionally vested to praise. But sometimes that's the thing God's waiting on before he lets you know the next thing. How, how well are you vested in me? Because he's vested everything in us. Seek, which is not instant gratification. So seeking takes time. You know, it's like you build a relationship with a, a mate uh, at a job, any of those types of things. There's, there's time invested. So you have to, you know, like me, me starting a job at Purdue this past year. I got new coworkers, you know, Purdue's a whole different culture than Walmart was. So I've got to seek and learn where I'm operating. I've got to understand what my boundaries are, what I can do, what I can't do from a leadership perspective. You know, what happens if I do this? What happens if I don't do that? You know, you've got to kind of understand the boundaries of your world. So you've got to seek. God expects the same thing. And we can't seek unless we know him, and we can't know him unless we spend time with him. So the seeking is getting in his word and praying, which leads right into the next one, listen and plan. And when I say by, what I mean by not dismiss, as you're seeking and you start hearing things, again, it's that knower. You know, you kind of feel this is right, and maybe I need to do this, or maybe I should go talk to that person, or maybe I shouldn't make this choice, or this job doesn't look right. Whatever those things are, you can't dismiss those. And as we'll see here in a minute, Abraham did quite a bit of that. And it put him in some bad situations. So don't dismiss it. Test God out. Read his word. See if what you think you heard is right. Don't discard it as, oh, that surely can't be right. I can't do that. I don't have that skill set. I've never learned that. I don't know those people. If God's told you, there's a reason, and rarely does he pick someone who's got all their ducks in a row. Again, back to the waiting. In the waiting is the time we get the training and we learn. So that's the last one there, learn. So don't justify actions is what I meant by that. Don't justify, you know, well, you know, I'm 50. It's too late for that. Or, you know, that never, I didn't get to move to the right place to go do that. Or whatever those things are. Don't try to justify when you've gone out on your own and you've, you've done some of this, you know, instant gratification stuff. Well, I had to do that because God doesn't care about all that stuff. He only cares about the plan, the purpose that he has for your life, and the awesome blessings that he has for you when you follow it. Because he wants good for us, not bad. All right, so if we look at Psalm 5, and this is in the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. So this is just giving some scriptures around those previous things I was mentioning. So this is praying and trusting. So I pray to you, O Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. At sunrise, I offer my prayer and wait for your answer. How many of us get up in the morning, and I've heard Pastor Bill talk about that, you kind of give your laundry, laundry list, please do this, please do that, please do this, and by the time you walk downstairs, get your cup of coffee, 
well, you haven't answered that yet? You are God. You can do it all. It should be done, right? I mean, come on. He says he has to, we have to wait. The psalmist says we have to wait. In Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, I wait eagerly for the Lord's help. And in his word, I trust. I wait for the Lord more eagerly than centuries wait for the dawn. So you're waiting for the dawn because that's when your shift is over and you get to go home, right? It's over. I get to get out of here. That's some pretty eager waiting, right? I mean, at the end of the day and you keep looking at the clock, you know? Uh, there was another video I watched when I was looking at this one and they were, they were talking about the waiting and it was a, a, school, a school, I don't know, he's probably third grader and it was just before the bell rings and he was talking about this last 10 minutes is taking eight hours, you know? And then he would shut his eyes. He'd go, okay, one, two, three, look again. You know, no time's passing. He was very eager. All right, so trust and seek, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and he will show you the right way. Never let yourself think that you are wiser than you are. Simply. Isn't that interesting? Simply. Simply obey. So I've told you what to do. Just do it. Simply obey the Lord and refuse to do wrong. So there's a, there's a condition here. And it says, if you do, it will be like good medicine, healing your wounds and easing your pains. And in the waiting, sometimes there is a lot of pain. And God's saying, if we obey, when he, when he gives us the pieces, the nuggets of the things we need to do, it's going to ease the pain. So it's going to help us during that waiting period. The next part, and this one is, this one's a big one for me. So when I, when I first came to the Lord, this is worship. When I, when I first came back to the Lord, and I say came back because I, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. We grew up, and I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And I accepted Christ as my Savior at, at a pretty young age. But I did some of that self-gratification stuff, you know. And I kind of walked away from the Lord. And we, my parents were going here to victory, and I came back in the early 90s. And I love music, you know, obviously. And, and um, I say obviously because of being a you know, bass player. So it's always been a huge part of my life. But worship, I didn't even know what worship was. I mean, we did hymns, and we, you know, we did you know, the, the just as I am at the end of every service type of stuff. But, but I had no idea what worship was. And plus, I was pretty young. So as, as a young man in college coming here, and there was this new term, praise and worship, you know. And, but when I, but I just, I, you could feel it. I mean, you could just feel it all over you. And I wasn't a goosebumps kind of person. I mean, this was all weird to me. I, even, I, I think I've told you guys before that I used to joke with my parents. I actually kind of poke at them about the church they were going to and the weird stuff going on here, you know. Um, so... So worship was new to me, but when, when I came and I was experiencing it and, and, and realizing that this was not uh, something I was trying to do because I wasn't even up for it. I didn't want it. And, I, and Pastor Pam, I mean, the first few services I came, well, it actually seemed like it went on for months and months. I seemed like I cried every service. I'm like, what is going on with me? You know, I don't even know what I'm upset about, but I'm crying, you know. But I, but I understand, you know, my spirit man was pouring out. And there was a lot of mending going on. So it says, be cheerful. And, this, and I love these verses. Be cheerful with joyous celebration at every season of life. Let joy overflow for you or united with the anointed one. I mean, you're united. I mean, this is the God of gods, the holy of holies, and we're united with him. Isn't that something to be joyful about? He said, let gentleness be seen in every relationship, for our Lord is ever near. So no matter what type of relationship it is, good ones or bad ones, he's always there with us. Um, there was a video I saw, and this had to be, this had to be in my late teens, and um, 
I think it was a youth ministry somewhere. I went, I went with somebody, but I would, I, this video has always stuck with me because it's kind of cheesy now. If we watch it now, it'd be one of those like early 70s cheesy Christian movies, you know. But there was, this, uh, there was this group of people that were getting ready to go to a party, and, you know, they were all dressed normal. And then, of course, the Jesus character was the standard white guy with the white robe, that whole thing, which is what I'm saying. It's kind of cheesy. I always tell, Chris and I always joke, you know, Jesus wasn't a white guy from Jersey. He just wasn't. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so anyway, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go to a party. And there's one person there that has confessed they're a Christian and all this, and some of the friends know, but, you know, Jesus is getting ready to go with them. And he's like, no, 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 you, you need to, you got to stay here. You don't want to go to this, you know, you just got to wait, and then I'll pick you up later, you know. So this whole video is just about, you know, we need to realize Jesus is always with us, even in the wrong choices. So it says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. So overflowing gratitude. So think about some of the most joyous moments in your life and that, you know, just that kind of it's spilling out of you, you know, and you can't be quiet. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Overflowing gratitude where it's coming out of you all over the place. Then it says in verse 7, Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So see, keep your thoughts continually fixed on that all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. So where do we define that list of stuff? Where do we define what's authentic, you know, what's real, what's beautiful, what's respectful, what's pure and holy? You know, what's our measure? Well, it's going to be the word of God. It's going to be what he tells us about love, what it is about respect, what it is about giving, what it is about forgiveness, because the world cannot define those things. So again, we've got to seek, we've got to get in the word. And then once we understand that, then we spend all this time in the waiting period. And what we start to realize is that we're spending more, and that's kind of what that video was talking about. We spend more of our time focusing on the relationship with him and on the worshiping him and getting closer to him and seeking him and understanding him that if we're not careful, we may end up forgetting what we were asking about. And then we come to this realization that I have grown so much in this time that I'm not even sure that's relevant anymore. And I know that was real for me. When I first, when, like I said, when I first came back to the church and I had all, this whole game plan life in college and all this stuff, and all this stuff that started pouring out of me, you know, as I think I was 20, early, 23, I think, you know, and... Um, uh, I spent some time in Russia with an organization called Teen Mania. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. I think they're, they're kind of out, out, out at this point. But um, you know, So back then, I, but when I came back from that trip to Russia, I mean, I was ready to just, God, I'll go wherever you want. I'll live in a box, you know, in the farthest parts of Africa, whatever you want me to do. I mean, that, you know, and then you come back to the, you know, the real world, and it's, it hasn't changed a whole lot. And, you know, they talked about us before we went on the trip about, you know, you'll get so immersed in this where you're eat, sleeping, and drinking the word, and you're seeing miracles happen, and you're seeing teenagers' lives change. You know, I was there as a, as a leader, as a youth leader. You know, we're doing drama on the streets, and you see all this miraculous stuff, and you want to bring that energy back to the U.S., where there's a church on every corner, you know, and, you know, nobody really cares about the whole thing that you did over there, or whatever, you know, and, and trying to keep the fire burning. But I will say this, that it, 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 it became so ingrained to me, and it became so real to me, that to this day, even, you know, what is it, 30 years later, that still has a, a cataclysmic effect on me as a person and in my relationships with people because I've seen how real it is. And I've tried to, I've tried to convey this to my kids that, you know, it, 
it's, it is so real, it's beyond comprehension. And until you actually dig in and experience it, but the challenge is we live in a generation now where their faces are just, and I'm, and I'm just as bad sometimes, being in technology, obviously, but you're so consumed with instantaneous, and, and sometimes God just doesn't seem relevant. You know, I've seen this, in, our, in, in like I say, in my kids. My kids have been brought up in a Christian home. They certainly get it, you know, for lack of a better word. But I've heard friends and other kids and things like that, even when we were in Arkansas, how is this relevant to me? I mean, the word's old. The stories are old. We've heard these stories a million times. You know, how is this relevant to me? Because the world's got tons of other options, tons of other opportunities, and tons of other paths. You know, all paths lead to Christ type of thing. Or it's just a different version of the same story. And the world's got tons of offerings. And you're competing with that. And, you know, I know like uh, youth, youth uh, worship and youth ministries over the years have tried to, what do we, what do, we do to spice it up? How do, we, how do we compete with the world? How do we make it just as loud and just as cool and all these kinds of things? And that's good on the surface. You know, I've seen this in my own family, you know, my younger brother. There was a period of time where he was pulled in. And a lot of that, a lot of those things I just mentioned is kind of what did it. The flashy, the emotional, the, the, but the thing is those are temporal. You know, just like when you go see a great movie and you walk out and you talk about it for two or three weeks, maybe, if it's really, really, really great, a month or two later, who cares, whatever, you know, there'll be another one next week. And that's exactly how religion can be for young people because they don't dig in and get enough. It could be the same way for us too, but I think as, as, as folks that are beyond the youth years, you know, some of us have that foundational Sunday school classes and those early Bible stories, and I think a lot of times this younger generation never really gets that kind of meat where they can, they're that grounded. And so if their faith is tested, in other words, they can't have their mom and dad's religion once they move out, where is their faith? Where, where do they go from here? You know, where you can't, you know you, I've, I've told my kids this, and they certainly know this, you cannot get into heaven because mom and dad accepted Christ. It does not work that way. It's got to be a personal relationship. But again, we're competing with the world that's got a lot of awesome things to offer you right now. And it's got to be legitimate. It, the relationship has got to be legitimate. That when you are on your, not, not when you're just on your deathbed, but when you're at your m most successful moments, you're still realizing that God was the source. Not that we're just crying out to him when something bad happens. Because it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better as we get closer to when he comes back. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Abraham and Sarah. So, <clears throat> Abram got a lot of promises. And he got a lot of promises told again and again, and then he got reminded, and then he was told again. Ultimately, he got it, but it took a long time. So what I like about the Word of God, especially when you start, like I say, you dive in, you start reading it, and you see these stories, God gives us lots of great examples of how to be uh, like a hero of the Bible, you know, the ones we know about, the Davids and the Daniels and the Pauls and Peters and all these folks. But he also shows the human side, so we kind of know what not to do. And it's interesting how he'll... Uh, reiterate those stories multiple times. Like, here's this thing, and this is where they screwed up, and this is where I helped them. And did you read that part back there? Well, here it is again, because this happened. I don't want you to do this. And you start seeing these repetitive things in there, and the reason it's repetitive, and this I mentioned earlier about kids sometimes think, how is it relevant? It's the same old story. Well, just like when you watch a good book, uh, watch a good book. When you watch a good movie or read a good book, you want to read it again or watch it again. Sometimes you catch stuff you didn't catch the first time. I'll give you a perfect example. Think about some of those nursery rhymes that we memorized when we were kids. Have you guys gone back and read any of those? Some of them are pretty weird, you know? I mean, 
and the cradle will fall. I mean, the baby's falling out of the cradle. We're singing about it. We're happy. I mean, there are some pretty weird ones. You know, Aesop's Fables, man, I'm telling you, it was not a kid that wrote those. Anyway, so when you go back and you read the Word of God, and, you, and the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is he'll bring things out to you that you didn't see the last time. And things that were maybe just a story about Abraham and Sarah, there's, there's elements that will speak to you through the Holy Spirit. And next thing you know, you have this revelation moment where you realize, oh, that's what that was all about. Or that's why he told us that. Or, well, that's why this happened. The thing is, that may not be the only thing in there. That's just the thing the Holy Spirit revealed to you then. You read it again in a few more months. You may not even remember that one. It'll give you something else. But that's the way the Holy Spirit works. So Abraham and the promise. So he gets the promise to Genesis 12. So the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, your father's home, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'll give you many descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will bless you and make your name famous so that you will be a blessing. So when he first heard that, he wasn't all that reluctant. I mean, he was kind of like, well, this is kind of weird, and I don't really know you all that well, and I'm just going to kind of throw it up in the wind. But we don't really get any history in there where he was like overly reluctant. You know, so, okay, great, descendants, and we're going to go. So he goes, and then it says, the Lord said, and this is in chapter 13, says, the Lord said to Abram, from where you are looking carefully in all directions. So now he's telling him again, right? So I told him, you know, you know they say a good presentation is you tell people what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. See, God followed that process. <laughs> so it says, the Lord said to Abram, from where you are, look, look carefully in all directions. I'm going to give you and your descendants all the land that you see. It'll be yours forever. I'm going to give you so many descendants that no one will be able to count them all. It will be as easy to count all the specks of dust on earth. So I think what he was saying is he's going to have a lot of descendants. And he was telling him that after he already told him that. So he's trying to get Abraham to believe it. So get vested in this. Learn from what I'm telling you. Trust me. Have faith. I'm not telling you it's happening tomorrow. I'm telling you it is going to happen. God's a man of his word. We know that. So then the next one, Abraham moves into the waiting. So this is Genesis 15. <laughs> He said, you've given me no children, and one of my slaves will inherit my property. Okay, so remember just two chapters ago, he told him, and he told him again, I ain't got no kids. You told me this stuff, where's it at? Then he heard the Lord speaking to him again, this slave, Eliezer, the slave, will not inherit your property. Your son will be your heir. <laughs> I don't have any kids, and you're telling me my son's going to be my heir. He also told me I'm going to have all these descendants. Did I mention I don't have any kids? He was trying to let God know as if God didn't know that the thing wasn't happening. So he was having, he was having his waiting moment. But wait, it gets better. So now in Genesis 16, now Sarah comes into the picture. Isn't it good to have a supportive spouse? Sarah was not real supportive at this moment. Uh, so much so they even spelled her name differently. So Sarah says Abram's wife had not, been able to hear, had not been able to bear children for him. Oh, but she had an Egyptian servant. Obviously, this is what God meant. So now Sarah's translating for God. Abram, I, let me help you out. I mean, he's a guy, right? Well, if it's for the Lord. <laughs> this is free will. Or as I like to call it in this example, doubt and unbelief right? So Sarah's helping God out. She's translating what God really meant. The Lord told me to tell you, you know, and Abram's like, okay, I guess so. Yeah, we need to have a kid. Let's do that. So Abram and Sarah, so now the next one I said, the waiting, the blame, the doubt. So this is just a few verses later. It says, then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. You did this. 
if you hadn't slept with her, really? I did it for you, honey. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. So now she believes what God's saying. Now she believes he's going to show up and he's going to say something and we're all going to listen to him. Because now he's going to say that it was Abraham's fault. Abraham replied, this is a typical husband, right? Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. You deal with that. It's not my problem. I did my part, right? By the way, Abraham was 86. Well, he wasn't even Abraham yet. So he was 86 years old when this was all going on. So to be that viral at 86, right? Ah. And be arguing about it with your wife. So then in Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again. So told him, told him again, slept with Hagar. Now he's telling him again. In case you didn't hear me, the first 17 times I told you, I am El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. So you were worried. Sarah didn't believe. You tried the other thing. Did I mention that I'm God? Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So, you know, we all like guarantees. We all like warranties. You know, the things, if it breaks, I can return it. God's saying, I will make a, not only I'm making a covenant with you, but I'm going to guarantee it. As if the covenant wasn't enough, he's now stamping his, his, you know, backed by God warranty. You know, it's good for at least a few years type of thing. And I'm going to give you countless descendants, which he has said before. So at this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Where there's a good idea right there. He fell face down on the ground. So now he's worshiping. Now he's kind of into that worship mode. Maybe it's starting to register. Maybe he's thinking, did I screw things up? You know, it was with Hagar. Maybe that wasn't your will. Now you're telling me I'm going to have descendants. Did, did I mess up? Okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm bound before you, Lord. He said, this is my covenant with you. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, this day I fell face down on the ground. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm going to change your name. So even with all the messing up that happened, God's still coming back and going, I made you a promise and I'm going to honor it. Even though you didn't do your part, I'm still going to do my part. Are you going to get on board with this? Are you going to believe? Are we going to move forward together? And to try to put the past behind us and give you a new name, and this name is the father of many. So every time somebody says your name, I'm hoping you're going to remember what I've now told you a half a dozen times, you're going to be the father of many. A lot. Get with the program. Get with me on this. For you're going to be the father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. So here's the interesting thing is, he's now making the promise to Abraham that he's going to make the promise to people that are coming after him. So Jacob, Joseph, all those people that are coming down the line, he's telling Abraham right here and now, this isn't just for you. This is a promise that I'm going to walk right down the historical line with everybody that's going to follow you, and this is going to be real. This is going to continue. This is how big a deal this is. It all starts with you. I will be the God of your descendants. It's going to be an everlasting covenant, and I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Now, this is interesting because, and I'm sure there's people who know a lot more history about Israel than I do, but obviously there's been a lot of battles and struggles. So God made this promise and this guarantee, which we know is truth. And there was something that, there was a pastor, Jeff Odom, used to always say, don't, don't let the, something along the lines of, don't let the reality of the situation cloud the truth. 
So what basically what he was saying is you look out and you see stuff, you see things happening, but don't let that cause you to forget what God said. Because just because this thing's happening now does not mean that the truth is not going to take place. Because again, we're in the waiting. We don't know how long it's going to take. We don't know when it's going to be. But if you're going to put your chips down, if you're going to be a betting person, go with the promise God made because God's word is real. And his promises are real. And when it's time to happen, there's nothing that's going to stop it. And if you're going to be on somebody's side, it's a good idea to be on the Lord's side. So the next one I talk about, so he says, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless them all. So this is interesting because even though there was this mess up of helping, trying to help God, Ishmael comes along, Hagar's going through all this torment, all this situation, you know, it just went from bad to worse. And she didn't even have any say in it, right? Because she was a slave. She was a, she was a maidservant. So it says here, Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. So I messed up, and I know you're talking about these other descendants. Ishmael is my son. Can he kind of be, kind of be pulled into this, even though it's not Sarah? You know? And God is such an awesome, loving God. And this is even Old Covenant, right? This isn't even, this isn't even the grace stuff that we get taught about through, this, through Jesus' final sacrifice. This is, this is the God, or some, I, mean, I used to have a friend in Arkansas that would call him the angry, judgmental version. You know, like the Old Testament is the angry, judgmental God, and then the New Testament is the touchy-feely God. But this is, the, this is that other God that, that, that people talk about sometimes, about that's the mean God or the, or the mad God. He says, God replied, no, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. So in other words, I'm not doing that, what you're asking for, the special blessing. Ishmael's not going to be included in this program, in this line, the line of kings, the one Jesus is going to come out of. He says, but... So he says, you're, you're going to have Isaac, and, he, and, and, he says, and then he says, Abraham laughed. He said, but I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So he took the mistake and roped it in. He loved him so much that even though he did this silly thing and went off and did this thing with this other person that wasn't part of the plan, it's almost like he's going, okay, you've convinced me, you know? I have a relationship with you. And what I've got for you is so important. And I know how important this is to you. And what's important to you is important to me. And you have emotions. And I gave those to you. So yes, I'm going to pull him in. But it's not going to be without issue. Because sin is still sin. And as we all know, there's a whole lot of things that go on in this world today because of the Ishmael Isaac thing. I mean, it's still going on now in the Middle East on a daily basis. So he said, the descendants will have an everlasting covenant. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as, you, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. So I just noted there, you know, the promise now extends to Hagar. In Genesis 18, it says in verse 10, one of them said, oh, I'm sorry, let me give you a little background. So this is, uh, Sarah is now trying to get exposed to the reality that now they're much more mature in their age. They're further along. You know, she certainly heard him talking over the dinner table about all the great nations that are going to come and all of our descendants, and Ishmael wasn't the one. And it's going to get better, and we've got all this. So she's certainly heard this from Abraham a lot. So now these three, um, and I believe I've read they were angels, actually. So these three men, they show up, and they says one of them said, nine months from now I'm going to come back, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was behind them talking at the door of the tent. 
And Abram and Sarah were very old. Sarah had stopped having her monthly periods. Sarah laughs to herself and said, now that I'm old and worn out, can I still enjoy sex? So she's back there going, are you kidding me? You're telling my husband that we're going to have a kid. Now he's been talking about this garbage. He's been rambling on about it. And I still don't believe it. Now here you guys are coming and saying it and don't even know who you are. You're out there talking to my husband and telling him this stuff. And he says, and besides, my husband's old too. Cannot happen. So these are people that up and move their entire family. They've done all this craziness up to this point to follow this God that they can't see and that has promised all these descendants. And still she's hanging on this little thing like God can't do that little thing, right? He's done all this other stuff, but probably can't figure this one out. Then the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really have a child when I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So she was getting hung up on this little thing. I mean, in the greater scheme of things, right? I mean, he spoke life into existence. Surely, he, I mean, which they totally believed, right? The Torah was, is the foundation of what they were doing and why they were doing what they were doing. It says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And it said, nine months later, I will return. Sarah will have a son. Because Sarah was afraid, she denied it. She said, I didn't laugh. And he comes back and says, yes, you did. You laughed. You're showing you don't have the faith. But again, God loved them so much, even though she lacked the faith, he has a plan and a promise, and it's not just about Abraham and Sarah. It's about us today. It's about us getting grafted into the vine, right? So the importance of what took place right there, even with Sarah's doubt and unbelief, but the thing I mentioned earlier about that, that, you know, that horizontal line and that track, who knows what things were missed, how much sooner everything could have taken place if Abraham hadn't did the thing with Hagar, if Abraham and Sarah hadn't had all these squabbles and these doubts and these unbeliefs and all this stuff hadn't happened, who knows, maybe he would have had children at 87 instead of 99. You know, I mean, who knows? He might have gained a few more years. So in verse 22, it says, I will make a vow by my own name. The Lord is speaking here, and he says that I will richly bless you because you did this and did not keep back your only son from me. I promise that I will give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky or grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer their enemies. So this scripture right here, the reason I put it in here is it's relevant because this is when he's gone to sacrifice Isaac. So again, what's, what things happen because of the mistakes we make? This is, this, is the, um, this is the book of opinions. I think I've shared with that before. Um, so I'm sharing from the book of opinions. I feel that the whole thing with Isaac was God testing Abraham to say, we've come a long way, baby, but you have done some stupid stuff. And I need to know that you are in for the long haul. Do you really believe me? Because I'm about to hang the entire generational thing that I'm going to do on your coat hook. How, do, how far will you take this? How much do you believe me? And the fact that he was willing to sacrifice his own son because he had finally come to a point where he believed God can really do anything. And this kid right here is proof of that. So I think God was testing him to see if he could show himself faithful for all the amazing things, not necessarily that were going to happen in his life, but what was going to happen generation after generation after generation. Are you really the man that's going to step up and do this? Because again, free will can trigger at any moment. Abraham could have said, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking him up the mountain. I'm just not, I can't and just pull the plug on the whole thing. Now, God would have found another way. There would have been another path because God's will will happen. But Abraham proved himself faithful. And then in Hebrews 6, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a retelling of a lot of the information we've just covered, and I just want to pull this one scripture out. 
because this is a, a post-scripture to him telling about sacrificing Isaac or being willing to sacrifice Isaac. He said Abraham was patient, and so he received what God had promised. So it looks like he finally got it. So this was a turning point. This is where I believe that that relationship with Abraham was finally fortified in the standpoint of, you get it. I get who you are now. I get how real this is. I get that everything that happens from this point on, and when you tell me something, it's relevant, and it has impact, and it's going to impact the generations after me. I get it, because I'm going to be patient, and from now on, I'm going to wait on you, and I'm going to do what you show me to do, instead of trying to figure it out on my own, or think that maybe you didn't mean what I thought you said. I'm truly going to believe you. The other thing we talked about was listening and planning. So, whatever that is, H-A-B period. The Lord gave me this answer. Write down, I know Pastor Bill loves this because he talks about his prayer journal. Write down clearly on tablets what I revealed to you so that if it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing because it's not yet time for it to come true. But the time is coming quickly and what I show you will come true. It may seem slow in coming, but wait for it. It certainly will take place and it will not be delayed. Now, what's interesting is here is, you know, this is God speaking to him and taking place quickly and not being delayed and it's going to wait. I mean, what's time to God? So what he's trying to get at here is, I'm going to show you some things, write them down, come back to them, reflect on them, let them sink in, and then be still and wait. And Chris and I were talking about this the other night when I was kind of sharing with her a little bit what I wanted to talk about. You know, we hear a lot of times you've got to step out in faith. You know, trust God, step out in faith. But now I'm telling you, well, sometimes you've got to wait. But what I believe God showed me was the stepping out in faith part comes when you believe you've heard something. You know, if we want to, I talked earlier about justifying. If we want to justify stepping out because we think that Abraham should sleep with Hagar because that'll help get this train started and get my kids coming, that may be called stepping out in faith, but God didn't say do that. The stepping on a faith part comes when you clearly know God has shown you to do something. Then if you wait, that's bad. <laughs> Step out when he shows you to do so. Pastor Bill has told me for years, and I think you mentioned the other day about Dan saying this to you, what's the last thing he told you? What was the last point you had peace? What was the last thing you heard? Hopefully you wrote it down. Go back to that. Because if you haven't heard anything past that, you're messing up if you're trying to do something. Because God's going to show you. He's not going to leave you hanging. God loves you enough that he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to say, go do the thing, and then, you know, nothing. Unless you're not supposed to do something else. Chris and I talked about crickets, hearing crickets for a long time in Arkansas. I'll share quickly with the, the story. So, um, I think it was it 2016 we sold the house? <clears throat> so, two or three years before when we were still in Arkansas, we lived in a home about 17 years. And all of our kids, our oldest went through high school Kenzie was a junior, um, I think Braden, what, eighth grade, freshman? We both, we, so that's, that's how long we were in that home. A few years before that, we really felt separately. Now, we didn't hear, God didn't say it wasn't an audible voice, like I got up one morning and God spoke to me. But we sensed in our spirit, and this is what I sensed, get the home ready to sell. I mean, as sure as I'm standing here, that's what I heard. I mean, it's just the weirdest thing, get the home ready to sell. Ironically, Chris had felt the same thing or heard the same thing, separately at another time around the same time and we thought that's just the stupidest thing we've lived here you know we really wanted to raise our kids in a single home stability walmart's a great company 
blah, 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 right? That didn't make any sense. Where are we going to go if we, do, if we sell the house? We're going to move in town? I'm still working for Walmart? You know, it, it didn't make, in the Nashville, didn't make any sense whatsoever. We loved our home. I mean, it just didn't make any sense. So we ignored. Talked about that earlier. We ignored it. And a couple more years went by. And, I, and I, that's no joke. A couple more years went by. And I, it never failed. We still felt that. We talked about it all the time. I, I bring it up randomly. Do you still feel like we're supposed to do something with the house? Well, yeah, kind of. It wasn't kind of. It was definite, and neither one of us wanted to do anything about it. So 2016, we decided, you know what? Let's just do it. So um, Walmart had a really good year that year. Bonuses were really good, and we basically sunk that entire bonus and some credit card debt into getting the house ready. And we did. We did. We brought a house that was built in '73, and past, uh, sorry, say Pastor Bill, Bill and Sue. That's a prophetic word. Um, Bill and Sue came down and spent uh, about two weeks with us, and and we did a lot. I mean, we redid the kitchen, the dining room, bathrooms, and just just cranked it out. Learned as we went, rewired. Yeah, uh, Bill and I re- pretty much rewired two thirds of the house. It was crazy, but we were moving forward, and we got all this stuff done, and. Uh, we didn't even have it up for sale yet. And there was a, there was a real estate agent went to our church. We had talked to him like the fall before. We said, come spring, we want to put the house up for sale, ne- maybe next summer. And we were, Bill and Sue had left, come back up here. And we were having, we were having dinner one night. And our, I mean, our, our kitchen was pretty much in the dining room because we still were finishing some stuff. And uh, it, I mean, it was a mess. I mean, it was, it was construction zone. One, one bathroom was down to the drywall. It was, it was a mess. And this realtor calls us up, called, actually called Chris and said, I've got this couple that um, would love to see your home. It's a, they're looking for their first home. They have a small child. Your guys' place would be great. And this is the realtor we talked to the last fall. And that was in March. Um, and can we come Thursday? And I, we're like, it's, a destruction. it's totally destroyed here. It's a construction zone. I mean, they're not going to want to buy this. And he said, oh, I've told them that. I've told them it's, oh, well, great, thanks. You've told them our house is tore up. No, but they want to come see it. They know you're still doing some things. We'll make a punch list of what you've done, what you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, Chris and I talked about the amount that we really wanted to get out of the house um, with all the things we were doing, just kind of where we needed to land. So I took, I think I took two days off. And we, if it wasn't nailed down or uh, up yet, it was in tubs and stacked in the garage. We cleaned as much as you possibly can when one of your rooms drywall and there's just stuff tore up everywhere. Try to make it look presentable, you know, made the house smell good, all that kind of stuff. And they come out in the evening, and I think by 10 o'clock that night we had an offer, and I kid you not, to the dollar for what Chris and I had talked about, we felt we were supposed to sell the house for. Now, if that's not God ringing your bell, I don't know what is. So sell the house, did nothing for two years, finally did something, and before we're even done, he sells the house. We didn't list it. We didn't do squat. He sold the house, which then put us into panic mode because we've got to be out in whatever it is, 40, yeah, 45 days. We pulled all-nighters that last week. The morning of the signing to the closing, I was at the house all night uh, using a Sawzall to cut up our hollow doors that I wanted to put out with the trash that morning that I'm sure all the neighbors, they knew what we were doing, but I'm sure they loved it because I'm out there with the Sawzall at 5 o'clock in the morning to get it out for the trash. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is when you hear something, Act. But God loved us enough that he waited. And then, I, I kid, this is another unbelievable, I was about a year to the day, maybe give or take a couple days, that I was notified from Walmart, um, we're promoting you to customer. So, 
So good thing I sold, we sold the house, right? Because we didn't have to worry about any of that, jer- that garbage. So house was sold. We were already living in town in a townhome, which, by the way, was the first place we found. It was perfect, size we needed. I mean, it just that whole thing just worked. But now what do we do now that I don't have a job with Walmart? You know, so a lot of this past year, I mean, stuff is still unfolding. Of course, I'm at Purdue now. But the point I'm trying to make is God will show you what you need to see when you need to see it and just do it. Because who knows how that might have been a little different. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, if, if we'd have been more obedient in the beginning. I know I'm running out of time here. So um, let's, uh, in Lamentations 3.25, it says, The Lord is good to everyone who trusts in him. So it's best for us to wait in patience, to wait for him to save us. And it's best to learn this patience in our youth. So he's not saying everybody's going to learn it in their youth, but it's better. You know, if you wait till you're further down the train ride, you know, and you're just getting it like at 50, like me, yeah, you might miss out on some awesome stuff he had for you. But, you know, you, if you get it, you get it. And then he'll bless you along the way. But he's saying, it's, you know, you get it early. It'll be better for you in the long run. So in the waiting, here's God's part. He directs and then he waits. And what I mean by he waits, sometimes he's waiting for us to wait. So he's got this thing he wants to do. Abraham, will you really sacrifice your son? Are you legitimate? Is this for real? Do you believe? Do you trust me? In our case, do you trust that I'm going to sell this house and take care of you guys? Are you going to step out? So I've got this next thing I want you to do, but I'm not telling you until you show me that you're going to wait on me. Or are you going to send you know, Hagar to, to Abraham and figure it out on your own? So he's waiting for us to wait. Then he answers and provides. He heals. He opens and closes doors. And a lot of that happens in the waiting period. The growth, the what he wants us to be, what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, a lot of that stuff doesn't happen until we show we know how to wait. Because patience and endurance and, and relationship with him and deepening those roots in his word and all those things, those come in the waiting period. You know, it's like an ebb and flow. And once you get that, that boost and that growth, then when you move into beyond the waiting period, you're equipped. Because that part was, is like your schooling. So the whole point of what I'm trying to share with you tonight is, is if you're in the waiting period, don't discount it. Don't, don't get too eager. Don't push too far forward too fast. Because God's got a plan and purpose. And the best place to be is in line with him and not ahead of him. Because God's not going to chase you. He's not going to chase you to catch up and then try to go, no, 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 I meant over here. He's going to wait. And then when we get it, He'll be there waiting for us. And he'll have loving, open, uh, open arms. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9, you may make your plans, but God directs your actions. In 2 Peter 3, but do not forget one thing, my dear friends. There's no difference in the Lord's sight between one day and a thousand years. To him, the two are the same. The Lord, the Lord is not slow to do what he has promised. And some think instead he is patient with you because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants all to turn away from their sins. So there is a point to the waiting. So the waiting is actually part of his plan for us. It's not that he's abandoned us or he's ignoring us. He's actually allowing us to get into the full line of what he wants for us so that he can release to us the next thing that he has for us. So through the waiting, gain peace, release that anxiety, attain joy and de-stress. You receive direction and you dismantle confusion and bless others and you invoke selflessness. So if you can really dig into these pieces and parts, the stuff that happens during the waiting period is going to set you up for the successful things and the blessings that he has for you once you move out of the waiting period. So don't, don't be angry. Don't be distraught. Don't be so overly hurt when you feel like you're not hearing from God because what you're hearing is there's something else he's wanting you to do in that period. And the best thing you do is get in the word and pray.
And like we read in the scripture tonight, listen. He will speak. He will speak. He will show you things. And then when you hear, act. Amen? Amen. Pastor Bill? Come on up here, and uh, I didn't hear the very beginning of your message, but I it heard was the best part. I, uh, <laughs> but I heard enough of it that I needed to be in here to hear the message. How many of you, this message was for you? And I believe we need to have Aaron pray for all of us because, you know, it's easy to download the Word and have it in you and call it faith. You know, we go from glory to glory. So we're faith people. We go from glory to glory. And then God says, I want you to do this. And say, so we just go from glory to glory. And we keep speaking the word of God and speaking the word of God. But how many of you know that there are things God is speaking to you that just like Abraham, just like Sarah, they don't really register and make sense as to how you can do it. But you know you're hearing things. But they're just beyond you. Can I see your hands? They're just, they're just beyond you. And, and I was thinking back there, honey, I'm just being very transparent. Uh, I had this thought the other day. I don't, I don't know if it's a God or not, but it's, you need to prepare your house to sell it. And uh, I thought, that's silly. I like my house. And uh, I like my neighborhood. And then Darren starts saying what he's doing. I think, God, I think I'll revisit that comment. But we are going from glory to glory. Our faith will be stretched as we move out in the right timing. But I believe that uh, I've received this prayer from Aaron that he's going to pray over us. How many of you receive his prayer too? That, that been there, done that, and now God is going to take us from glory to glory. So why don't you prefer, uh, pray for everybody, lead them in a confession or whatever you want to do, and you dismiss. Lord, we just praise you and we just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough that even when we, we go down the wrong roads, Lord, you're waiting. And I thank you that you redirect. I thank you, Lord, that as we seek you, that you will show yourself real to us. Lord, I thank you that the waiting is part of your plan also. And I pray, Lord, you'll teach us patience. I pray, Lord, that we will spend enough time with you that we, when, we, when you speak to us, we hear you. And that we're sensitive enough to your Holy Spirit that we know that it's you. And Lord God, I just pray that you'll make yourself real to us. Lord, I pray that those things for, Lord, anybody here tonight that's, that is in, those, in that, that tough time of waiting, Lord God, I pray that you'll use this message tonight to show them that you haven't forgotten them. Lord, I pray that you'll show them that there is a next step and the time's coming. And I pray that you'll help them to sense in their spirit exactly what they need to do. Maybe it's they need to, to spend more time in your word. Maybe it's they need to, uh, uh, you know, get engaged and maybe in, in things that will actually grow them in your word, whether it's, you know, things here serving or... or uh, uh, just worshiping from their heart, Lord, spending more time just seeking you and truly getting into your presence. Lord, I pray that as we, as we seek you with our hearts, Lord, I pray that you will show us that we're not forgotten. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us and, and guide us to not make mistakes like the Hagar mistakes. Lord, I pray that, that even though you take those things and you, just like your word says, you use the things that, that take place for those that love you for good. Lord, I pray that we don't have to go through that. I pray that we don't have to experience those, those mistakes that you take and turn for good. But Lord, I pray that we'll tap into you so much that we make the right choices so that we get the full blessing and that we get the full definition of what you have for us. And Lord, I just pray these things and I speak it over everybody here tonight, Lord, that we leave this place changed and ready for the next step. And we just give you all the glory in Jesus' name.